happen to good people, how one gets to heaven, or how can one know if they're good enough to get to heaven? Here's an interesting one. They asked why he hates homosexuals. He doesn't. God doesn't hate homosexuals, but that's the, that was the question the college students were asking. So bad question because it does not reflect who God is, but, or if, if homosexuals can get to heaven. Interesting, that's one of the major categories. Why is there so much world? Which religion is the right religion or if all religions lead to God? Why God couldn't prevent evil if he's God? Why God allows people to go to hell? What's the purpose? What is the purpose is to life? So a lot of those questions fit into those categories. These are like big questions, right? These are the kind of like keep you up at night type questions as you ponder and you think through. Now, if I had that opportunity to ask God one question, it wouldn't have been any of those. Because what I do is pastoring. I answered most questions for people along the way. We talked about some of these at high school retreat and the ask anything about anything. Junior hires, you'll have an opportunity to maybe ask some of those questions. My question would be like, God, my one question is like, what are the five things, the next five moves I need to make financially to be worth $100 billion? That's what I'd want to know. And when he answered, we'd have like steak and shrimp night at Collide. We'd have like whatever you wanted, cotton candy night. I'd be paying for it all. It would be legit. You have no problems inviting friends. Your friends would be like, I hate God. I don't want to go to church. I don't ever want to step foot in the church. And you'd be like, it's steak, shrimp, cotton candy, Slurpees. There's everything you can imagine. Like, okay, I'm coming. I mean, it'd be fantastic, right? It'd be really cool if I had $100 billion. Problem, when we have these type questions and we don't get answers to them, sometimes, I almost would say often, it leads us to wrestle with doubt. Let me, let me give you an example. Let's just take the, the one about suffering or why bad things happen to good people. Those are somewhat similar. How many of you believe, and if, if I don't want you just voting with the majority. I'm just really curious. You vote how you feel. How many of you believe that God is all good? Okay. Most of us. Put your hand down. How many of you believe that God is all powerful? Okay. How many of you believe that God wants to have a relationship with you? Okay. I believe all three of those things, like most of you. Here's where the problem comes. When it comes with suffering and bad things happening to good people, we start going, well, if God is all good, and if God is all powerful, why does he let bad things happen? Because he could, he, he's either not all powerful, he couldn't do something about it, or he's not all good. He went ahead and let people suffer. And then we believe that God wants to have a relationship with us, and we have this big question, so we ask him, God, I don't understand. Why are these things true? And we don't hear an answer the satisfactory from God, so we are left to conclude one of several things. What I said earlier, that God's not good, God's not powerful, or God doesn't really want to have a relationship with you. Inherently, we all believe that, and then we have this tension. And that's why these questions <coughs> are so difficult, because they, they, they make us wrestle, they make us struggle with, with things that that are big deals. And you know what happens? Even if we get the answers to these. And I know I open a can of worms when I put these up there and you start going, wait, what? I do want to know the answer to that. I will tell you this. There are good, satisfactory, biblical, theological answers for these questions. But what happens is we get those questions answered and then we have some other big questions that we want God to speak into and they're much more personal. And some of you guys even threw some of them out there. Like, what, what am I going to do when I grow up? I got, where, where do I go to college and what do I need to study? Because I want to, what am I meant to do? Or we ask the question, like, who am I going to marry? Like, how do I know 
if she's the right one or he's the right one, because I don't want to say I do forever to the wrong person. So God, how speak clearly. Or maybe coming out of our plastic series, we talked about forgiveness. Maybe you still wrestle with, hey, there's somebody that's hurt me really bad. And God, you're, you're, you want to hear God speak? God, how do I forgive this person? We got these big questions like this. But then we've got other questions that are just personal. And we desperately want to hear God speak. We want God to answer. In fact, we want our questions answered so badly that sometimes people, non-believers, maybe even sometimes believers, will do some things that I would say is silly. For example, there was a lady, she lived in Mount Vernon, not Mount Vernon, Texas, but Mount Vernon uh, up near the northern, eastern Atlantic coast. She was struggling because her husband and her were having some major marital problems. And she was trying to figure out, like, how do I save my marriage? About the same time, she had some physical problems because she had gotten in an accident and had a concussion and broke her wrist. And she was having a hard time because she was older. She was in her late 60s trying to <coughs> recover from those injuries. It was going slow. Then family members died and they left money to her in an inheritance, but her sister, her blood sister was left out of the inheritance. And so now there was all kinds of family problems and money problems, marriage problems, health problems, family problems, money problems. She's all these questions and no answers. So what does she do? She goes to a fortune teller, which might sound silly, but if you're not a believer and you don't have God to go to, and maybe you've talked to friends and you're just trying to look for some of these big answers. It, it really probably doesn't sound so silly. It does to me because I'm not from that worldview. But for somebody who is, it's probably not that, that crazy. So she goes and wants answers. And the lady tells her this. She starts giving her some fortune teller answers. And the fortune teller lady, as all of them are, is a con artist. And starts telling her the reason why you're having all these problems and the reason why you're having family problems is because you've inherited this money and this money has evil on it. And you need to get the evil money out of your hands. So if you'll give it to me, I'll hold it until you can process all this and the evil disappears, and then I'll give you the money back. And the lady so desperately wanted a question, she said, okay. Gave it. And then months went by, and she realized, hey, I want my money back. She went back and told the fortune teller, lady, hey, I want my money back. And the fortune teller said, what money? And she said, the $51,000 I gave you. $51,000. Because she desired answers to some life questions. She did end up getting her money back. She hired a private investigator who had been a police officer at one time, and he had made a, a, a career out of chasing down con artists. And he had in his own career as a police officer, just one guy, gotten $2 million of money back of people's that had been given to fortune tellers and things like that for people who wanted answers. So we want them. We want to know what our future holds. We want to know what, who we're going to marry. We want to know some of these deep questions. We want God to speak. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to lean into what does the scripture say to us about how do we hear God's voice? How do we get those answers that we want? How do we know when God is speaking to us and leading us one direction over the other? So we're going to go this week, tonight, and then Sunday morning in your small groups into 1 Samuel chapter 3. But here's what I want you to understand. Here's, here's the proposition I want to throw out there for you that I think we'll see in 1 Samuel 3 when we begin to, to pull it apart. Is that sometimes for us, hearing the voice of God is determined by our position with God. Okay? Sometimes 
Uh, hearing the voice of God is, is de- depends on, is determined by the position we take with God. And we're going to see that in 1 Samuel 3. If you read that and you go, I, I don't really know what you're saying there, get to first 3 with me and we'll go through it and then I think it'll make sense, okay? 1 Samuel 3, we're going to go back in time to history. We're going to go back to when God's people, the people of Israel, the Jews, they were in a theocracy. A theocracy means it's a government with God as the head. God spoke and was led often by the high priest. This is before King Saul, King David, King Solomon, if you remember some of those guys in the history of the Bible. This is right after the period of the judges. So that's what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. We meet a young boy. His name's Samuel, the pro, uh, not the prophet, the historian Josephus, who's not in the Bible. He's just a Jewish historian, one of the most famous historians of history, says Samuel is at this time about 12 years old. So Samuel would be like here tonight. says, now the boy Samuel, ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Eli was the high priest. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. What we're going to find out in a second too, as we read a little further, we're going to find out that Samuel, even though he serves and works in the tabernacle, the the church, if you will, he doesn't know really a whole lot about God. And you go, how does, how does a 12-year-old, I mean, that's it's a junior hire who has grown up in church, actually lives there at the church, how do they not know a whole lot about God? Well, the answer comes back to history. If you go back to a, a sermon series ago, Pastor Kevin was taking us through the book of Judges. This is right after the period of the Judges. And you'll remember the theme of that sermon series, and the thing that Pastor Kevin said over and over again as he read to us in Judges, that the people did right in their own eyes. That's the theme of the, the theme of history where this is coming out. The people didn't care what God said. They weren't looking for what God had to say. They only did what they wanted. So we're in this time of history that's like spiritually dark. There's not a lot of prophets. There's not a lot of people talking about God. In fact, Samuel's in the, in the tabernacle serving. Eli, the high priest, we know his son's should have been. But even high priest's sons, his own family, the guy who's called to lead the people spiritually, he isn't even leading his own kids. That's how spiritually dark this time is. And Samuel's a 12-year-old, is trying to chase after God, even though he doesn't know him very well. So look at verse 2. It says, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. So he's in his room, He's going to bed. It's nighttime. When it says that um, the, where did I lose it? Um, oh, we'll keep going. Verse three. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Samuel, Eli's in his place. <coughs> the lamp of God hasn't gone out, which that means is daytime hasn't come. <coughs> Excuse me. When the sun, raised, sun came up, they would have turned the lamp out in the tabernacle. So it's the middle of the night. Eli's in his room. Samuel, interestingly, I don't know enough about the history here to know if this is odd or not, but the scripture tells us that, that Samuel is sleeping in the same room, the room where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark was, the people of God believe, signified the presence of God. So we've got this 12-year-old boy who doesn't know much about God. He's trying to serve God, so much so that we find him trying to sleep in the very presence of God. That, that tells us something. Then look in verse 4, because here's where it gets crazy. The Lord called Samuel. And he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. Verse 6. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose, Eli, and said, 
Here I am, for you called me. They said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Verse 7, now Samuel did not know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So we see, that's what I was telling you about. We see coming up, Samuel's not very spiritually mature. Verse 8, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And Eli said, shut up, boy, go to bed. I'm trying to sleep. That's what I would have said. That's not what actually happened. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Verse 9, therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lied, lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Here's a 12-year-old boy who is hearing the voice of God. There's some things in this passage of Scripture I think we need to grab a hold of and see. And one of them is going to come to the end of our bottom line talk, the posture and the position. But first, I want then you realize how many times like Samuel got up? Samuel got up multiple times. He heard God's voice. But Samuel didn't recognize it was God's voice. I mean, God spoke. And so in my mind, like when, if God spoke audibly, you would think like I'd recognize that because it's probably like this deep booming voice that shakes the house. But it wasn't that way for Samuel. Samuel gets up and here's one of the things that comes to practice. Samuel in a very short period of time, went multiple times trying to tune his ear to the voice of God. There was practice going on. So here's what I want you to say, and this isn't really kind of our bottom line. We'll probably circle back around this series and talk about it. But, but do you want to hear the voice of God? I'd, I'd assume so. Understand it's going to take you some practice. When God spoke the first, Samuel didn't, Samuel didn't know it was God. God spoke the second time. Samuel didn't know it was God. Third time, Samuel didn't know his God. So what we can conclude is that if you're going to tune in and hear the voice of God, it may not be easy. It may take you some practice along the way to, to tune your ear to when God speaks, you recognize and go, okay, that is the voice of the Lord. Now, let me say this. I'm 42. I've been walking with the Lord for several years. I, I've never heard God audibly speak like this. God may speak to you audibly like this. It has never my experience. I don't know anybody who that has been their experience. We'll talk about what the voice of God sounds like to us. But for you, it could, who knows? God could speak audibly if he wants. But to hear his voice, to know when God's speaking takes practice. And there's going to be some times where you're trying to discern what it is. And here's the second thing, not just practice, but for Samuel, he had some guidance, right? And that figured out at the end, who knows? Samuel would have been going all day long, if not for the third time, when Eli said, listen, here's what I want you to do. This, I, I, I haven't heard it, but I think you're hearing the voice of God. So you go lay down, and when God speaks, I want you to do this. So one, if you want to get good at hearing the voice of God in your life so that you can determine, God, where do I go, and what do I do, and who do I marry, and what do I do in this situation? How do I forgive? All of those things. It's going to take practice. You also need some people in your life that are going to help you discern the voice of God. They're going to go, hey, go do this. Pray this. Say this. Ask this. So practice over and over again, two things. But here's the big thing. I want us to really lean in tonight. It's the, it's, it's the posture or the position that Samuel takes. Back to verse 1, because this is interesting to me. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. That reads odd to me. I would have thought was Samuel, who's kind of like working in the tabernacle for the high priest, you thought that somebody would have said, hey, Samuel works for Eli, right? Eli, the priest, Samuel works for him. So, so Samuel's in the temple. He's ministering with Eli. 
maybe even so in the presence of the Lord. But that's not the way the picture of Samuel says. Samuel, his first priority, who he was ministering to was the Lord. He just happened to be in the presence of the high priest as if Samuel would have done that anywhere. We see Samuel from the very beginning, he is serving. He's got this spirit, this posture that is a servant's posture. And then look at what it says when you go down to verse 10. When he says, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel says, speak. Here he says again, for your servant hears. Guys, let me ask you this. Do you think it could be that you haven't heard the voice of God because you've been too busy asking your questions rather than listening to what God has to say to you? My question, five findings to make $100 billion, is an extremely selfish question, isn't it? Like, it's all about me. But if we go back questions, even those deep questions, those are selfish questions too. Why are we asking? Why does suffering happen? You know why we're asking that? Because someone we know or care about or our life, we're suffering and we want an answer and we demand it of God. God, why would you send people to hell? Because I know people who are going to hell and God, I'm kind of mad about it. I want to know why you would do that. All of those questions inherently get back to what I want. It's almost as if God shows up and instead of saying like Samuel did, hey, Lord, I'm your servant, speak. Like God shows up, Samuel, Samuel, and we're like, or he says your name, Brett, Brett. And our response is, hey, man, I'm glad you're here. Why is there suffering in the world? God goes, Brett, Brett, oh, God, you're here, great. Hey, what am I going to do when I grow up? That, that, that is counter. It's 180 degrees what Samuel did because Samuel before it ever started, even when it started, identified as a servant, he, get this, he existed for God and not vice versa. And most of us, while we would agree with that verbally, we live our lives as if God is for us. As if God is this giant cosmic butler for us, this spiritual slot machine. And we go about our lives and we do our lives, then we go, man, I'm struggling with this. God, let me pull the slot machine handle and you tell me this, spit some for me. Great, thank you for answering, God. Now I'm gonna go do my thing. I, I come to God when I need something. I want an answer. When I've got a deep question, I wanna know about my future, then God show up as if he exists for us. But what Samuel paints us a picture of is the exact opposite. That Samuel is ministering to the Lord. And when the Lord shows up, Samuel says, I'm your, speak. I might have a thousand questions. But what really matters is not my questions being answered because you're God and you decided to speak to me. What really matters is I want to hear what you have to say, whatever it is. It's 180 degrees from where most of us want. You know how with that? Because 1,600 college students and a group of parents who sat in this room on Sunday night, Sunday morning, and a group of us who came in on Wednesday night when I asked the question, if you could ask God one thing, what would it be? nobody's question, answer, question was, God, what do you want from me? But that's the right question. If you want to hear God's voice, it's the posture of serving. And hearing from God might depend on us going, God, I want to hear from you, so you tell me what you want to say, rather than answering all the questions that I expect you to answer. So <coughs> here's kind of the application. Here's Here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. 
the next couple days. And on Sunday morning, if you're back here in a small group, I'd love for you to have this conversation in your small group. I want you to practice this tonight, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe even Sunday morning before you show up. You set aside five really spiritual 10 minutes. Let you decide who's really spiritual. And ask God, what do you want me to say? I mean, God, what do you want to say to me? And then just shut up and listen. When was the last time you did that? that? That's your one prayer. Five minutes, carved out, someplace quiet, and go, God, what do you want to say to me? Now, you know what's going to happen? As soon as you get quiet, all kinds of things are going to start flooding your mind. Did I turn in my algebra work? What's so-and-so? I'm so, am I supposed to do something this weekend? Does she really like him more than me? All of these things are going to start coming into your mind. And you have to practice discerning the voice of God. That's what Samuel did. Practice by clearing your mind and going, and when that's happened, God, speak to me. What happens is we tend to talk all the time. That's our prayer. Our prayer life is, God, I want this. God, I want that. And God, can you do this? And God, can you heal this? And God, can you give me this? God, 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 God. And then we finish, and it's this one-sided conversation. I was at Chili's the other night in um, Waxahachie. I went up and watched Kendrick Clark play. Uh, Kendrick graduated from here a couple years ago, and she's playing for uh, the Plainview Flying Queens or the Wayland Baptist Flying Queens up in Plainview. And one of her games, her closest game was Waxahachie, so I went up with her with some of our youth ministry team, and we met this lady who was friends of Kelly Clark, which is Kendrick's dad. And this lady lives in Dallas, and she grew up with Kelly, and she brought Kelly's mom down to watch the game. And afterwards, we were talking about where we're going to go eat. Now, I'm a person, like, when we go someplace, like, to another city, I want to eat, like, in a place that's only in that city, right? Like, I, I don't want to go to Wendy's or, I mean, if I got to go someplace that I can go here, let, let's pick Whataburger, because that's, like, where Texans go. So I, I walk up, and they've discovered, discuss dinner, and they go, hey, we're going to go to Chili's. Is that Okay. In my mind, I was like, what? Like, I mean, I like chilies, but I mean, I'm, I, I remember the times in Georgetown, even before y'all were born, when it was like, your only options were chilies, Applebee's, and dos salsas to sit down. You only had three options. I ate chili so much. I was like, uh. But I didn't want to complain. I was like, okay, we're fine. And they said, well, here's the deal. We're going to chilies because this lady works for Brinker. Brinker is the company that owns chilies and Maggiano's. And she's worked there for 26 years. And she's got this special card, credit card thing that whenever she goes to Chili's, everyone that's with her eats free. And I was like, what, seriously? Like, yeah, I'm all about Chili's now. And that, so she was in another car, and they're telling me, I'm like, like, so really, like, I said, I'm not above asking. I'm, I'm going to get, like, real with this lady. When we get there, we sat down, I sat next to her, I said, so I just want to be clear. I can order the most expensive steak on here, on this menu, and it's free. You don't have to pay for it, it's free. And she's like, yeah. And then the waiter shows up and like, would y'all like any appetizers? I'm like, boy, do I. Like, <laughs> I'm one of everything. <coughs> we order our meal, pays for it. And when she pays for it, because of this card, it triggers for the, the general manager to come out. To, probably to make sure it's not like a stolen card, you know, meet the person. So this guy comes out and he says, hey, who's the person in this card? She's like, it's me. And for 10 to 15 minutes, somewhere right in there, he talked nonstop about himself. I heard about his, his wife. She had just retired and what she was doing. Heard about both of his kids and where they were in college. Heard about something up at a Chili's that apparently the lady that was there would know about it some other place that he was involved in and he was name dropping. And on, on. It was so bad that Kendrick's grandma was at the table and like halfway through his whole spiel about himself, she out loud goes, okay. Like, you know, 
get out of here. And everybody's kind of like laughing. On and on and on. Asked for a raise four times to the lady. Like it was so uncomfortably awkward. And he leaves. And like we're like, I'm like, well, that was uncomfortable. Everybody starts laughing. But here's what I thought. Here's a lady who's worked for Chili's for 26 years of her life. She's so invested. She's so bought into the company. They let her in any, our, our, our bill was over $100. Free. You know, when she walked in with us being a representative of Chili's, you know she cared about our experience because she was like, had the service been bad? You know, she would have been like up saying something to somebody because it represents her. So here's a lady, 26 years, who's passionate about the company. And here's a guy who's lower level who has the opportunity to walk up and say this. This would have been the, the best question. Hey, you've been here 26 years? Yes, sir. I mean, you, you must be passionate about this company to stay in one place for that many years. Yes, sir. Could I ask you one question? As you walked in, you experienced my restaurant. Tell me one thing that I could do to make this experience better. You've been to Chili's all over the world. What could we do? What could I do as a leader, as a general manager, to make this Chili's the best there could be? That would have been a fantastic question. Because he had the expert. It's like us walking up and God goes, hey, Brett, Brett. God, what do you want from me? Because you created it all. Because you care about me more than anybody. Because God, you love my family more than I do. God, you love my friends more than I do. You're concerned more about my future than I am. So God, since you see it all, know it all, what can I do? Tell me. I'm, I'm listening. And let God speak. Instead of coming in and going, well, let me tell you all about me, this and this and this and that. So here's the application. We set aside tonight, five minutes, you go home. Set aside finance and say, God, what do you want to say to me? And then just shut up. And as, as things start coming into your mind, you won't be able to stop them. Here's what you can start doing. If, if you start thinking about geometry, you start thinking about a friend, then you ask, then, then just as you, God, God, are you, do you want me to, are you saying something to me about this person? God, are you saying something to me about my algebra class? God, what do you want to say to me about that? Because God, I'm trying to clear my mind except for the things that you want to say. And you listen, and you keep practicing that tonight, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and we'll see. Here's the second thing. Find you a way to serve, okay? That's what, that's what Samuel's doing. So find a way to serve. And I'm not talking about, like, go pick up trash. Like, oh, oh I'm walking to school. Hey, oh, look, I found something. Okay, I got it. I'll throw it away. I mean, intentionally. This may next week, next couple of weeks or so, find something intentionally, a way that you can carve out time in your calendar and serve. And while you're serving, or immediately after that time, you do step one again. You pray, God, what do you want to say to me? Because when God is speaking, when, I mean, when we're serving, God speaks to us in a different way. Okay? Practice it. Try it. See what happens. I'll tell you one story, and then we're in close. I think I've probably told you all this story before, because it's, it's kind of a cool thing. It happened to me years ago. I was engaged to my wife, and it was probably like May. We were getting married in August. It was probably March or April. And I, I remember sitting in my office at the church, and I, I, my head was throbbing. I had this headache, and my phone rang. I picked it up, and I was like, this is Brett. And the person on the line said, hi, I'm so-and-so, and, -so, and I'm, from, I'm from Magic 95.5, and I wanted you to know that you're our grand prize winner. You've won an all-expense-paid vacation to Cancun. It's like, oh, whatever. Like, you know, I'm thinking, 
All I have to do is press one, and then they'll go, and I'll get to go to some meeting and hear about a timeshare thing. And, and I'm like, I, I'm not interested, thanks. And she's like, um, like, like it's odd. All of a sudden, she's like, well, you know, I mean, you're our grand prize winner. And I'm like, oh, who is this? You know, my head's hurting. She's like, so-and-so from Magic 95.5. She said, sir, did uh, a month or so ago, were you at a Taco Cabana? Did you fill out a form and drop it into a box? And I went, yeah. Yeah, I did do that. And she goes, well, that was a, comp- a contest with Taco Cabana and Magic 95.5 working together. And through your name, you're the grand prize winner. You've won an all-expense-paid vacation to Cancun. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. So I go down to fill out like the paperwork for it, and they say you've got to pick between three weeks. Here you can start. You can go anywhere between like well they they had it like Sunday through Friday, Sunday through Friday, Sunday through Friday, like from May all the way to the end of August. It just so happened, I believe it's the providence of God. The last Sunday through Friday that you could go was the Sunday after the day I was getting married. I was getting married on that Saturday, and Sunday I could take this vacation. Airfare, all-inclusive hotel, that means you eat for free. And so I told the lady, I was like, man, this is fantastic because this is my honeymoon this week. I said, I said, can I do it that day? And she said, well, we can't guarantee it. You just have to put three different dates down. And I was like, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I love my roommate, Rick, but I don't want to go to Cancun with him like a couple weeks before I get married. Like, I'm not interested at all. So I wrote my honeymoon date down, all three things. And they called back later and said, hey, you've got everything paid for. That was the phone call maybe I've ever had in my life. Because we were, bro- like, like, you know where we were vacationing? Bath- that's where we were, like, that's where we were broke. Like, we did our wedding on, like, $3,000 total. Not kidding. We were so broke. My dad's friend was the one who videoed our wedding, and he just sat in the pew and leaned out, and halfway through the wedding with, like, one of those cameras over the shoulder, he fell out of the pew because he lost his balance. That's how broke our wedding was. Our photographer that we hired... Like, we met him at his apartment. And we walked into his apartment, like, and he's got, like, I'm not kidding, like, nude pictures on his wall of people he's, like, take pictures of. Like, we're in the most ghetto wedding photographer there's ever been. It's a broker. And so when I get this phone call that says, your vacation, your airfare, your food, everything is paid for. That was incredible. And here's what God told Samuel in verse 11. This one we're close with. Look at the end of this passage. When Samuel says, speak, it says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. God said, Samuel, I'm about to do something that's going to blow your socks off. I'm going to do something in Israel that everyone's going to remember from this point forward. Something in Israel that in 2018 in a place called Texas that doesn't exist, in a city called Georgetown that's not on a map, there's going to be some teenagers whose great, 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 great grandparents who aren't even alive are going to hear about as they read the story of what I've done. That was what God wanted to tell Samuel. Now, I don't know about you, but you know what I'd love more than knowing why suffering happens? More than I'd like to know why bad things happen to good people. And more than I'd even like to know what my future holds is for the God of the universe to say to me, I'm going to do something that people will talk about for ages and you're going to be a part of it. 
So I want to suggest to you that hearing God's voice may depend on our position as servants. So we approach God, not with all of our litany of questions, but just saying, God, what do you want to say to me? And then shut up and listen. Let's pray.